This series that we've been in, The Heart Vision, uh, can you throw up the main vision slide real quick? We've got a few different slides. This is the one that has all four pieces. We there? Do we have it? Okay, awesome. This is, uh, this is the vision of Heart of the City put on one slide. Um, our desire, our passion, what we exist to do is to be a people after God's own heart. What that means to us is that we want to help people do four things. And that's what we've been talking about for the past month. Our, the, the first thing we do to help to, as a part of accomplishing being a people after God's own heart is we want to help people know God. We want to help people find freedom. We want to help people discover their purpose. And then when they discovered their purpose, we want to help them make a difference. And that's what we're talking about tonight. As you can kind of see, the primary, there's kind of primary expressions of Heart of the City for each of those things. And the primary expression of make a difference for us is, is the teams. So it's team weekend. I'm preaching about making a difference. Everything's tied together. There's going to be an opportunity at the end of this gathering. Risha has, has bought balloons and has organized everything so that we're going to have different representatives from our teams out in the lobby. Can we show some of the teams that are going to be out there? Do we have that too? I think there's three slides and there's a few teams on each slide and we're going to... There are some teams, I promise, that will be out there represented in the lobby. There we go. Um, really want to encourage you guys to check those out on your way out. Please don't just sneak out. There's going to be these smiling faces that have clipboards and balloons and just at least say hi to one of them, if nothing else. Um, so t- tonight we're going to be talking about making a difference. We're going to talk about our philosophy behind teams a little bit, um, kind of intertwined. Overall, making a difference. And we know that there's so many other ways to make a difference in this world than to serve on a team at Heart of the City. We're not under some, you know, egocentric idea that the only way to change the planet Earth is to be on a team at Heart of the City. Not at all. But it is one opportunity. It it is one opportunity. So can you show that slide that's our vision for teams? Sorry, I'm just like hammering ProPresenter tonight. I'm sorry. We are hammering y'all. Can we read this together? We believe that every person at the core of their being desires for their life to make a difference. Our teams are built and facilitated with the primary goal of making a significant impact on people's lives every week, both within our corporate gatherings and throughout our community. Awesome. That's our philosophy behind teams, and we really believe it here at Heart of the City. If you are taking notes This evening, not not assuming that you are, but if you are, this message is called Upside Down, and we're going to be looking at two primary passages in the New Testament. One of them is going to be Matthew chapter 20, and one of them is going to be Acts chapter 17. They're both going to be coming out of the ESV, but you can read from whatever version suits your fancy. The one on the Sky Bible is going to be the English Standard Version, and um, we're going to start in Matthew. So Matthew, to give you a little bit of background, I preached on Matthew a few weeks ago, so some of this might be a review for some of you. But Matthew is, the, is Matthew to the, the disciples' gospel account. It seems that the primary purpose of Matthew is, is to really convince it's more toward Jewish people than it is toward Gentiles. Most of us in here are probably Gentiles, Jews at heart, but we're Gentiles by, by ethnicity or by nationality, right? We're, most of us are non-Jews in that sense. And, but but this, this, this gospel appears to be directly written primarily to the Jews because of how much it references um, Old Testament prophecies. It seems to be kind of this case or this justification that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So that's why in, in Matthew, you're going to see a lot of quotes of Old Testament prophets kind of showing the confirmation of Jesus's life and how that represents the Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old, in, in the Old Testament, in the prophets. Now in chapter 20, Jesus is traveling 
to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a really important city. He's traveling to Jerusalem for the triumphant entry, right, where it's going to be Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday's coming up in a few weeks. But he's, he's traveling to Jerusalem, and he, there's this mom of these two disciples. And this mom is, I guess, she, she's on one that day. She's, she's, she's ready to make big asks to Jesus. I said asks with a K, just to be clear. That one's a <laughs> uh, big requests. How about that? Okay. And um, so she goes to Jesus, and she asks, uh, <laughs> she requests that her two sons, James and John, are able to sit on Jesus' right and left hand in the kingdom. And, uh, you know, Jesus kind of gives a little bit of a subtle rebuke there going, hey, you are going to drink my cup, which means like you are going to suffer like I'm suffering, but that's not even for me to grant right now and so on and so forth. But then the other disciples get, the word says indignant. They get upset at James and John. They're like, wow, you, you guys are so arrogant asking for the most honored place in heaven. I mean, give me a break. And Jesus, he calls the disciples together and, 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 and he shares this difference, and I think this is kind of a form of a rebuke as well for the disciples' misunderstanding. The difference between greatness defined by the world and greatness defined by the kingdom. Matthew 20, starting in verse 25, but Jesus called them, called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to turn, we'll address that in a minute, but we're going to turn right now to Acts chapter 17. Acts is kind of a summary of the launch of the New Testament church. It's written by Luke, who was a physician and also the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. In the beginning, it focuses on the ministry of the original disciples, the apostles, and then it kind of transitions and talks about the story of Paul. We love Paul, yeah? It talks about the story of Paul. Now, in Acts chapter 17... Paul and Silas have traveled to this city in Greece called Thessalonica or Thessalonica, which modern day is Thessaloniki. Craig, did I do it all right? Basically? Okay. Whatever. I'm just kidding. I always took, look to Craig whenever I start talking about Greek things. <clears throat> no, while they're ministering there, they stay with a guy named Jason, or at least, I don't know if they stay the night there, but they're at least with him to some extent. He shows them hospitality, and because Jason shows them hospitality, there are some Jewish people who are not liking the, the message of Jesus, and they incite a mob against Jason and against these, and, and, and against these men. So we're going to read it starting in verse 2. It says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, I'm going to continue, but can you zoom in real quick? Because that was just kind of laying a little bit of 
just really a preface for really what I want you guys to hear. Listen to this phrasing, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. These men who have turned the world upside down. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, that it is active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we open our hearts before you today. And even to the extent which we don't even know how to open our hearts, we ask you that you would help us open our hearts so that we might receive your word and be transformed from the inside out, never the same again. That your truth would be planted richly and deeply within our hearts so that we might be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus. Amen. I want to tell you guys about a friend of mine. A lot of you know him. His name is Clark Menzies. You guys know Clark? Yes. I love Clark. Clark and Glory. Uh, Clark, Glory is his wife. She's a, she's a wonderful woman, wonderful lady. And um, she's our hospitality director. She leads the hospitality team. Shameless plug. If you want to join the hospitality team, you have an opportunity. Um, so uh, Glory is our hospitality director. Now, uh, Clark, uh, you may know him. If you, if you don't know him personally, let me describe him in a way to you. Every once in a while, every few weeks or so, you will see this raging ball of fire with gray hair come up on the stage in the middle of musical worship and deliver a prophetic word in about the most passionate way that you can imagine that the English language could be delivered. Do we know who Clark is now? <laughs> but, the, but, but honestly, Clark, you know, Clark, Clark, he has a wonderful uh, gift of prophecy, but he's, he's really so much more than that here at Heart of the City. He's more than the, the gray-haired man who comes up and delivers a prophetic word. Okay. Clark, is, he actually serves at the, as the church's secretary, which not in the term that you're probably thinking where he's like taking notes and things like, well, he's taking notes, but not in the way that you're thinking. He serves, he's one of the church officers. <laughs> it's hard to explain. He does take notes, but not, not in your... Classic understanding of, okay. Craig, we, I'm like, I need help. What is a secretary? It's different than what you're thinking. Okay, praise the Lord. Think of more like secretary of state and less like secretary front desk, okay? Anyway, he also serves as one of our four official elders. For us, what we see in the scriptures when, when elders are basically what we believe, it, the, the scripture, it, the Greek word is either episkopos or presbyteros, and it, it is, can be translated as elder, as bishop, or as overseer, and we believe that the way that Paul seems to, to tell us and the way that the scriptures seem to tell us that this would be kind of the, the highest form of, of human spiritual government. Now, obviously, we believe that Jesus is the head, right? No, no, one, is, no one is above Jesus. We, hopefully, we can let that not be a part of the conversation, of course. But within the church, by the way, the church has a prescribed government in the Bible. I don't know if you guys knew that, but just kind of free to be you and me, a few people hanging out, isn't actually church. Um, so Clark is an elder, which is, which is really a, a, a position of great esteem. And the reason why I'm setting this up is not just to try to give you a background on elders, but the reason I'm, I'm telling you this is because although Clark 
sits in this, in this position of honor, something that really only a handful of people are appointed to within our community. Clark is one of the most lowly in heart, servant-oriented, and humble people that you will ever meet. I have watched Clark over the years. He's been with us for, for a long time. And him, and him and Glory both carry this. But I've, I've watched Clark for, for, for many years, and, and what I have noticed about him is this very consistent, faithful quality of character in which he is unfazed and unchanged by title or role or, or authority given to him. Clark is Clark, day in and day out, all the time. And let me tell you about Clark. Because a lot of you, if you're, not, if you're not friends with him, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know that Clark comes in, completely volunteer, comes in every Tuesday to help his wife in preparing lunch for the staff. You wouldn't know that Clark, when we have elders retreats, that he helps facilitate all the food and, 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 and is like the servant of servants, even though there are people, including myself, who would be in a position that would be considered under him. Clark is the kind of guy where he, you're sitting at a table with him, and as soon as he gets up, his eyes are like a hawk watching which plates that he can grab on his way so that he can serve other people. That is Clark Menzies. He is a servant of servants. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who serve behind the scenes at Heart of the City, and I, I know that I can't adequately thank you and honor you in a setting like this individually. The reason that I pick out Clark as a specific example is because I think that Clark is the image of greatness in the kingdom. I think that Clark Menzies is the image of greatness in the kingdom. Now, does he have 10 million followers on Instagram? Does he have his own TV channel? Is his name known all across the nation? No. But I'm telling you, I believe that Clark is the image, a great example of what greatness in the kingdom looks like. And I want to unpack a little bit that, that a little bit tonight, why I would say something like that about, about Clark Menzies. Greatness is something that I believe is written into the genetic code of every human being. Last week, J.O., which it's always weird to call him that because he's my father, he's my dad. Last week, my dad... He preached a message on the importance of discovering purpose, and he gave us some really practical tools of how we can discover our purpose and walk it out. I don't believe that any person that God has designed, which by the way is all of us, God designed you. Say, God designed me. God. Amen. I don't believe that any person that God has designed was meant to live out a mediocre or insignificant purpose or life. In fact, I believe that the will of God for every believer is that you could be described that we could be described as the ones who have turned the world upside down. I believe that the question, this is what I would submit, <clears throat> this is what I would submit to you tonight. The question is not whether you are meant to be great or you are called to greatness. The question is whether you understand what greatness means to God. I'll say that again. The question is not whether you were meant to be great. The question is do you understand what greatness means to God? We're going to talk about what greatness means to God. Now, there is a significant difference between the way that the world defines greatness and the, and the way that greatness is defined in the kingdom. And we're going to look at what Jesus says to help us understand those two dif different definitions. Looking back to Matthew chapter 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. 
You see, the world would tell you that greatness is defined by how much money you make or how many employees are beneath you or how many followers or likes that you have on social media or how many people recognize your face or your voice or your name. The world celebrates how much higher you can get than other people, how much better you look or sound or perform than them. And if you're really great in the world, if you're really great in the world, you might be able to eliminate pretty much any task that causes you annoyance or inconvenience because you could just pay someone to do it. If you're really great in the world and you have something that you don't want to do, just throw some power and money at it. But Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. He then describes the very different definition of greatness within the kingdom of God. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. We're like, okay. We're like, okay, I think I'm still on board. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, Son of Man, Jesus Christ, King of the universe, Most High, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. At this point, if you've been fed what the greatness of the world is, you're going, okay, okay, Jesus, That doesn't sound like greatness at all. Servant, slave, sacrifice. See, the people that I know that are pursuing greatness are trying to avoid those things. That's why they're trying to be great, so they don't have to have that a part of their life anymore. In fact, the ones who are really great, they get someone else to be that for them. You mean to tell me that this Jesus, son of man, that you're the king of the universe and you came to serve? Let me just tell you a little bit of something, Jesus, about my culture. Those who serve are not the great ones. It's the ones who are served that are the great ones. And you, and, and you said that you, you, you came to give your life as a ransom for many, to sacrifice your life for people that are beneath you? You see, in my culture... People who are great don't sacrifice for people beneath them. The people beneath are the ones who have to sacrifice for the great ones. What kind of king are you? He's the kind of king whose kingdom is upside down from that of this world, operating on a very different, completely different set of rules and principles. See, the kingdom of this world is based on what you can earn by performance. The kingdom of God is based on what you can receive by faith. The kingdom of this world operates in a system of scarcity and lack. That's why we have these ideas of competition and of rivalry. But the kingdom of God is, operates on a system of abundance and overflow. You see, for our math, we go, oh, but so, okay, so I have, if I have five, if I have five lima beans, and I give two, and, and two lima beans go to my friend, that means I have three. See, that's the kingdom of the world. But the kingdom of God goes, I have five lima beans. And then my friend gets two. I still have five. Come on. Right. Which means I don't need other people to suffer or to be less in order for me to be great. Yep. Come on. No one needs to be worse than me for me to walk in greatness because that's not kingdom math. 
The kingdom of this world is measured by what can be acquired. The kingdom of God is measured by what can be given. The kingdom of this world sees influence as who you can rule over, and the kingdom of God sees influence as who you can serve and how well you can serve them. It's like a corporate organizational chart flipped upside down in which the key leaders are always thinking about how they can serve the people who are leading under them, how they can help them accomplish their dreams, how they can help them live in fullness in life. If we're going to be the one who turn the world upside down, we're going to have to think upside down from the culture that we live in. We're going to have to think differently. You may have heard it said before, and I believe that Jesus would affirm this statement. In fact, I think it's basically a, a summation or a, a paraphrase of what Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 20. But I want you to grab hold of this because someone needs to hear this because there's some people with some ambition for leadership in this house. And I want to tell you that that ambition can be good and it can be holy. But I'll tell you this. If serving is beneath you, leading is beyond you. I didn't make that up. I didn't make that up. But I want to tell you again, if serving is beneath you, then leading is beyond you. Because in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, what did we just learn what Jesus said? The greatest among you, the leader among you. Some of you are studying leadership till your brains fall out and you're reading leadership book after leadership book, but you haven't got the concept of serving your fellow brother and that's what's putting this ceiling on you. It's because you're going, I'm trying to make my name great. I'm trying to make my name great. I'm trying to make my name great and I keep falling short. Have you thought about turning things upside down? Have you thought about thinking of leadership as what you could contribute to someone else's life, what you can bring to the table rather than what you can grab off of somebody else's? So what is our response to this? How do we live out the greatness of the kingdom rather than the greatness of the world? How do we, foc- how do we live with a focus and a heart for the, gr- for the fullness of others and the needs of others? This is the question that I was asking myself when I was sitting. I was sitting at Union Coffee this week on Wednesday. I got my, got my, my AirPods in, so I got the noise canceling. So I'm really, really not trying to be bothered. Really trying to not be interrupted. You know, when I turn the noise canceling on that I'm not trying to talk to you, friend. So I'm sitting there. Just feel me. I know that sounded kind of mean, but just feel me. I'm sitting there, and I'm typing, and I got my AirPods in. And then this guy next to me, who also has AirPods, and therefore, I know, he, and he has AirPod Pros, and so I know that they have noise canceling, so I know that he knows that he's really going to have to try and get my attention in order to get my attention. I know. It's not out of ignorance. It's in full knowledge of what he's doing. So I'm sitting there. And he goes, what are you writing in that voice that knows that you're speaking over noise cancellation? What are you writing? And I take my headphones out, you know, and I'm like, okay, I guess this is what's happening now. And I told him I'm, I'm a local pastor and I'm writing a sermon. He asked me what passage. And I'm like, okay. So we start to talk, and then all of a sudden he offers this, he volunteers this information that I, I, I had not even tried to get at. Oh yeah, I used to be a believer. In fact, I went to seminary. And I went through a deconversion process. Now, this is one of those moments where you go, okay, Lord, 
So this is what it looks like when you answer prayers that I've been praying for so long, God, would you open doors of opportunity for me to share your love? And God goes, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do I have to hit you with a car, Seth? And we, we go on to talk about scripture and about faith and about science and about technology for the next two hours. And it was one of the most intriguing conversations that I've had in months. Now, it didn't end with him saying a sinner's prayer, and it didn't end with him having this observable reconversion experience, but I knew that I knew that it was a divine appointment, a divine interruption. I was recounting this story to Craig later, and he was like, dude, you're you're in the middle of writing a message about making a difference. You're just starting to write about how we apply it. (laughs) And you have someone who obviously interrupts you from your noise-canceling AirPods. Seth, you have to share this. This is God. (laughs) I paraphrase a little bit. I'm sorry. I made you... Is that okay the way I paraphrased you? Okay. (laughs) Sorry, I'm a one. I just... It is what it is. I would submit to you that the first step to living out what greatness looks like in the kingdom is to make ourselves available and ready for an invitation from God. To make ourselves available and ready for an invitation from God. Now, a lot of us go, I'm available. I've made myself available. Now, we're often quick to make ourselves available for opportunities that will satisfy some kind of ambition that lies within us. We hear of an opportunity to increase our wealth, to increase our power, to increase our fame, or one that sneaks under the radar to increase our convenience or our leisure. That's one that sneaks right under. It's like, well, I'm very humble, but are you addicted to comfort? Are you addicted to not being bothered? Because I might be. And God's working on me. But when we've made ourselves, we jump on those opportunities, but when we've made ourselves so available to the beck and call of our own kingdoms that we find this popular and convenient excuse to say no to an invitation from his kingdom. And it looks like this. Oh, man, I'm just so busy. Busy with what? It's one of the most common phrases I hear every week. How you doing? I'm busy. Listen, when, when, you say, when you say you're busy, this is what you're really saying. Everything that I'm currently doing is of a higher priority to me than the things that I'm choosing not to do, which isn't necessarily bad. It just is what it is. We need boundaries in our lives. I need boundaries in my life. Ask my wife. I need boundaries in my life. But are you so busy with things that are contributing to your kingdom that you simply cannot be interrupted by something that God wants to do in his? Are the margins of your life so tight that if God invited you into the life that you've been praying for for the past 20 years, that you wouldn't have the time or the wherewithal to say yes? God, would you just use me? Yeah, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you some money. Would you just use me? It's going to cost you some personal time. Would you just use me? It's going to cost you some self-promotion. Would you just use me? It's going to cost you some authority. Would you just use It's going to cost you some power. Would you just use me? It's going to cost you some popularity. God, I don't understand why you haven't used me yet. 
because you're so busy with you. What if we were that honest? Hey, how you doing? I'm just really busy building my kingdom. So you don't have time? No, 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 no. You see, that doesn't, that's not getting me to where I'm going. That's not going to help me climb the ladder I'm on. So yeah, I'm, I'm busy. Too busy. Now, I want to make it clear that I'm not trying to, this isn't a call for you to quit your job and like, feel me, this isn't, this isn't a call for you to quit your job and sell everything and go street, do street evangelism in Africa. Although, God may call you to that. And if that's you, I bless you in the name of Jesus. And now I'm like, Lord, is that me? <laughs> this also isn't me trying to twist your arm and make you feel like, in order to serve in the kingdom and to not be building your own kingdom, you need to be doing something through Heart of the City. That's not what I'm saying. There are some people in this room that I know, you are living in such a fullness of calling. You are walking in the plans that God has for you. You are giving yourself up for the kingdom of God. And if you're doing that, I'm not really talking to you right now, other than good job. But if that's not where you're at, and you find yourself living an average American life, an average American life where you're coming here week to week and you're a builder in your kingdom. You're a builder in your kingdom Monday through Friday only to come here on a Sunday and be a consumer in his kingdom. I think maybe he just might be inviting you to something more. Just maybe. If you find yourself caught in the grind going, I'm, I'm, I'm living paycheck to pay, or, or may, maybe you're not living paycheck to paycheck. I'm making a lot of money. Maybe it's that. I'm making a lot of money and things are going really well, but there's, there's something missing. You will never be satisfied building your own kingdom. It will always leave a hole inside of you. I promise you that. There will always be a hole inside of you building your own kingdom. Try to picture how Peter and Andrew felt. They're in the middle of their job. We look at like they were fishing like it was just fun for them. That was their job. That's how they earned money for their family. We're like, oh, they were fishing. They were having a good time. And God's like, or Jesus, God, yeah. Jesus, Jesus is like, hey, come follow me. Why don't you take a break from like tying your fly? No, no. They were there earning an income for their family, working on their 401k. Not really that maybe, but they, 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 were, they were earning an income and Jesus goes, hey, leave the nets and come with me. Now, Jesus... See, um, that's not in my calendar, and that's not really in my 10-year plan, and I think that if I listen to you right now, um, I'm not going to really have a lot for retirement, and I'm really not going to be... Um, I'm not going to be able to climb the corporate ladder like I was hoping. See, I got some goals. Can I, do you want to go over my goals, and we'll see, we'll see Jesus, if, 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 if your kingdom aligns with my goals... God, would you, would you go ahead, would you come over here and bless what I'm doing? That's what I would prefer. No, but, no, but they, they, answered, they answered the invitation. And what happened? They became those that turned the world upside down. By saying yes to an invitation, by making margin, by making room for a kingdom invitation that was an interruption to their own kingdoms. What invitation has God been trying to extend to you during this season of your life that you have been going, 
God, I'll, I'll try to fit you in on Wednesday. Oh, you know what? Not Wednesday. We're going to have to wait till Sunday. Yes, I know I always say Sunday. I know I always say that we have to wait till Sunday until I can fit you into my plans. I promise I'll do better. But this time it's just going to have to, I have an hour and 20 minute block for you on Sunday. Will you let the busyness of your kingdom be an excuse for letting the greatness of his kingdom pass you right on by? Don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you don't have an inheritance or you don't have a place. You have a place, but I'm talking about greatness. You are guaranteed, if you, if you put your faith in Jesus, you're guaranteed heaven. But you ain't guaranteed being great. It's written on you. You are naturally postured toward greatness because it, once you are saved, your identity changes. you are already got a head start toward greatness when you get saved, but that is a choice. You can be redeemed and you can be mediocre, but that is not what God has for you. He does not have the average, oh, I don't, I don't, I'm like, I don't know. Cheesy, kind of early 90s Christian life for you. I know that you guys, what's wrong with the early 90s? I, I don't know what's wrong with the early 90s, but, but I, I look, I've just seen some Christian-themed things from then, and I get, a little, I get a little scared about how I'm just thankful that there's the Holy Spirit and that he draws people even when our stuff is garbage. I'm thankful. But he has more for you than this cheesy kind of like, we're Christians situation for you but that's a choice you're going to have to make and it begins by a, a perspective shift and an understanding of living in an upside down kingdom will you stand with me we're about done we better be about done now the primary most important invitation that god sets before us as human beings sorry i know when i have y'all stand sometimes you get a little distracted and we get a little chatty Let's just zoom back in. The, the primary, most important invitation that God extends to us as human beings is the invitation to put our trust and our faith in him. That's the, that's the, number, that's the number one. That is the beginning. That is the start. That is the foundation. That is the most important invitation that you will ever receive is from God knocking on your door like he might be right now going, Would you like to come with me? Do you feel empty? Do you feel that God-shaped hole? Do you feel like no matter how much success you have in this world, that it, 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 leaves, you, it leaves you feeling like you too? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Is that how you're feeling? It's the most important invitation that we ever receive. You know, just as it said in the passage that we read in Acts, it said, this is what Paul was preaching. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one, the chosen one. Now, why would Paul make that kind of claim of the necessity of Christ's suffering 
and his being risen from the dead. Why would he make that claim? Because God is perfectly righteous. You guys following me so far? I'm going I'm to take you on a little journey. God's perfectly righteous. Well, uh, another way we describe that is holy. Because God is holy, our sin or unrighteousness creates a separation between us and him. You guys still following me? He's perfectly righteous. We are not. Our sin, it creates a separation. The only way for our righteousness to be restored. Now, why is it important for our righteousness to be restored? Because it reconciles us to him in his perfect righteousness. The only way is for a perfectly righteous one of us to be sacrificed. One of us. What are, you, what, are you, what are you talking about? One of us. Jesus. You know, we, we think about Jesus as the son of God a lot. We think about him as divine a lot, which is all true. But he was also one of us. He walked this earth and faced every temptation, every, every pain that you can imagine. He faced that as 100% human being. 100% God, but 100% human being. Well, how can that be so? No, I don't understand. It doesn't, but it's true. The only way for our righteousness to be restored was for a perfect one of us to be sacrificed on our behalf. Because none of us are being perfect. If we're being honest. And if we're not being honest, then we sure ain't being perfect. That's exactly what the father did. He sent his son, a perfect one of us sacrificed, an opportunity for us to be reconciled to him and our righteousness to be restored. And I just wanna bring this invitation before you, this very simple invitation. This is, this is how easy he makes it. He goes, I'm good, you bad. I'm sending a good one of you to pay for all your bad. And now you good. How do I be good? Just trust in him. Put all your hope in him. Put all your faith in him. Know he's your only hope. And you good. It's that simple. And I want to extend that invitation to you tonight. If you're in a place where you're going, I am not in right relationship with God because I have not surrendered my life to Jesus. I'm not putting my faith and trust in him. We want to give you that opportunity tonight. If you guys would all close your eyes and bow your heads with me. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to make that commitment tonight, whether for the first time or as a recommitment for your righteousness to be perfectly restored and your relationship with God to be made whole. I would invite you to pray this with me from your heart. And church, I invite you to pray with me as well. Father, I understand that I messed up. I sinned. And I was separated from you. But you made a way for us to be close. You sent your son for my redemption. As a, as a ransom to pay for my mistakes. For my mistakes. And, as and as a reasonable response, I put all my trust, put all my trust and, all my and all my faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ your, son. your son. Whatever you want, Whatever you want. However, you want however you want it, I'm yours. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, in Jesus name. amen.